Belief in the virgin birth of Jesus is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. To deny the virgin birth is to deny the deity of Jesus, and if Jesus was not God in the flesh, then you and I have no hope whatsoever. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I want to talk with you about the virgin birth of Jesus and why it is essential to the Christian faith and to the identity of Jesus as God in the flesh. To help me, I have invited two colleagues to join me. The first is my former associate evangelist, Dennis Pollock. Dennis serves now as the founder and director of Spirit of Grace Ministries located in McKinney, Texas. It's an evangelistic and healing ministry that's aimed primarily at Africa. Welcome back, Dennis. Thanks, Always Dave. good to have you. Well, love to be here. Uh, the other person on the set with me today is my colleague and co-host, web minister and associate evangelist, Nathan Jones. He is on our website every day answering questions about Bible prophecy and assisting people in defending the Christian faith. Nathan, glad to have you. Thank you, Dave. Okay, Phyllis, I want us to jump right into this topic. And during the Christmas season, I think it's important for us to discuss both the validity of the, pre, uh, of the virgin birth and also its necessity of the Christian faith. Folks, uh, the importance of this topic is due to the fact that there is probably no doctrine of the Christian church that is held in greater contempt today than the virgin birth of Jesus. It has been declared non-essential to the faith and it has been written off as a mythical belief conjured up by some uneducated fishermen who became Jesus' disciples. Yet the Bible clearly states that Jesus was born of a virgin. Let me just take a moment to read a few verses from the Gospel of Matthew, and I want to read them from the Jewish New Testament. This is what it looks like here. This was a translation by David Stern, who's a Messianic Jew who lives in Jerusalem, and it gives the Jewish flavor of the story of Jesus. Beginning here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, here is how the birth of Yeshua the Messiah took place. When his mother Miriam was engaged to Yosef before they were married, she was found to be pregnant from the Ruach HaKodesh, that's the Holy Spirit. Her husband-to-be, Yosef, was a man who did what was right. So he made plans to break the engagement quietly rather than put her to public shame. But while he was thinking about this, an angel of Adonai appeared to him in a dream and said, Yosef, son of David, do not be afraid to take Miriam home with you as your wife, for what has been conceived in her is from the Ruach HaKodesh. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Yeshua, which means Adonai saves, because he will save his people from their sins. All this happened in order to fulfill what Adonai had said through the prophet, and I quote, The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. Okay, fellas, how about it? Is the virgin birth a myth that is not essential to the Christian faith? Dennis, let's start with you. You are always the deep theologian. So let's start with <laughs> you and have you talk about whether or not this is a myth that is not essential to the Christian faith. Sure. Well, uh, firstly, I have to say it's hard for me to understand why people would not believe it. I mean, it, it, the Bible is filled with miracles. And one of the things that makes an evangelical an evangelical is to believe the Scriptures, take them seriously, and accept what they say. And, the, you know, there's so many miracles in the Bible. Why not a virgin birth? But 
let's let's start in terms of why there had to be one with the idea of normal reproduction when a a baby is conceived what you have is the seed of a man that will penetrate the egg of a woman and once that penetration has occurred there is an explosion where the very DNA and the nature of that man fills that egg and so you have a combination of the the woman and the man and the baby is born sometimes looking like the father sometimes like the mother but the man's attributes are are placed in that egg now along with the guy's eyes or his eye color or his hair or lack thereof or whatever else he's going <laughs> to give to that baby there is a sin nature that somehow mysteriously gets placed in that baby ever since adam ever since adam and once that baby is born and you you have your baby and he's so sweet and he looks like an angel but guess what you do not have to teach your baby selfishness <laughs> it comes so naturally nope. so easily and so what happens is all of us, me, you, everybody else, uh, is born with that sin nature and we are flawed. We make mistakes. We sin. We, we do things we should. We have poor judgment. Now, for Jesus Christ to be born into this world, if He is who the Bible says He is, which is the Son of God, and God manifest in the flesh, He could not have a sin nature. The process had to be changed. It, it could not be the normal way. So rather than the seed of the father penetrating the egg of the mother, what you had was the Word of God coming to Mary and creating a divine release of God's DNA. And there was no sin nature, nature associated with it. So when Jesus was born, no selfishness, no mine, I, me, I've got to have it, none of that stuff. And therefore He became the, uh, he became our Savior because of that divine imputation. Yeah, he's different from any other man. It's, it's an amazing thing because he looked like a man. He acted like a man. He sweat. He ate meals. He did all the stuff that people do. And yet the Bible says he was the Word. He was with God in the beginning before he ever came along. You had a beginning. I had a beginning. And uh, we all had beginnings, but so you're not saying Jesus. That the virgin birth was essential to his divinity. Absolutely, and it was essential to his being our Savior because right. he had to live a sinless life; otherwise, he couldn't die for our sins. Exactly. Uh, the wages of sin is death. We die because we're sinners. Yeah. But he's the only person who's ever lived who didn't sin, and therefore he did not deserve to die. He died for you right. and me. Yeah, it's kind of amazing because on the one hand, he had to be like us. Yes. He is our high priest. Yes. He had to look like a man, think like a man, do like a man in, in almost every area, but he had to be totally different from us in the aspect that he had to be without sin whatsoever to be that, that sacrificial lamb. And he was both. He was both fully man and yet fully God. And he was like a man in every other way. He, he, he didn't have the big halo around his head as he walked around. And people didn't just automatically see him and say, well, that's obviously the Messiah. I mean, look at him. He looks just like the painting in my, in my living room. No, he, he looked like an ordinary Jewish young man. And he was a young man, by the way. You know, he, sometimes we, we think, we think of him, well, he was Jesus. But he was a 30-some-year-old man. And to me, 30-some seems mighty young yes. these days. But he was also God. And he was ancient. And he had no beginning. So... Jesus, an amazing person.
Welcome back to our discussion of the virgin birth of Jesus. We have seen that the virgin birth is essential to the deity of Jesus and to His role as Savior. If He was God in the flesh, He had to be born of God and not of man. And if He was to be our Savior, He had to be born without a sin nature inherited from Adam, enabling Him to live a sinless life so that He could die for the sins of mankind and not for His own sins. But what about the veracity of the Scriptures on this point? Is the virgin birth a myth or a reality? Before we discuss that question, let me set the stage for it by reading another set of verses from the Jewish New Testament beginning with Luke 1.26. In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city in the Galil called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Yosef of the house of David. The virgin's name was Miriam. Approaching her the angel said, Shalom favored lady, Adonai is with you. She was deeply troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Miriam, for you have found favor with God. Look, you will become pregnant. You will give birth to a son. You are to name him Yeshua. He will be great. He will be called the son of Ha Elyon, that's God the highest. God will give him the throne of his forefather David, and he will rule the house of Jacob forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. How can this be? asked Miriam of the angel. I am a virgin. The angel answered her, The Ruach HaKodesh will come on you, and the power of HaElyon will cover you. Therefore the holy child born to you will be called the Son of God. You have a relative, Elisheba, who is an old woman, and everyone says she's barren, but she has conceived a son and is six months pregnant. For with God nothing is impossible. Miriam said, Well, I am the servant of Adonai. May it happen to me as you have said. And without delay Miriam set out and hurried to the town in the hill country of Yehuda, where Zechariah lived, entered his house, and greeted Elisheva. And when Elisheva heard Miriam's greeting, the baby in her womb stirred. Elisheva was filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, and spoke up in a loud voice, How blessed are you among women! How blessed is the child in your womb! But who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy." She's speaking of John the Baptist there. Indeed you are blessed because you have trusted that the promised Adonai has made to you will be fulfilled. Then Miriam said, My soul magnifies Adonai, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Nathan, let's start with you. What evidence do we have there that Mary was really a virgin? Well, the strongest evidence is the reaction that people have to Mary. Starting first with Mary's reaction to Gabriel. I mean, here it is, it's been 400 years, the Jewish people haven't heard anything from God. This angel appears to a 13, 14 year old girl and says, Hello, favored one, you are going to give birth to, to the, the Son of God. And she says, Well, immediately. Well, she obviously knew how birth occurred because she. Yeah, yeah. And she was of marrying age, even yeah. at that young age at the time. But immediately she says, How can this be? I've never known a man, or as that interpretation said, a virgin. I've, it's impossible, physically impossible. And Gabriel has to explain it. Now, I assume that her parents and everybody thought she was nuts, but the angel said that Elizabeth would be pregnant in her old age. So, more than likely, the family knew a miracle was already happened in the family. And how does Joseph react? He doesn't have her stones like he could, but he reacts quietly. He was going to quietly divorce her because he wasn't convinced until the angel visited him and told him. But then, where does Mary go? 
she goes to a priest's house, Elizabeth's husband. A priest. A priest. And now, as a priest, he would have been required to bring Mary up for adultery because they were considered, she and Joseph, in the, uh, yeah, the engagement phase at the time. Yeah. And she should have been stoned. And yet she feels safe going to him. And then John the Baptist himself, in the womb, leaps for joy. So, I love again, that. and yeah. isn't it great? A and baby. incidentally, how many young women at that time in that kind of society, not the society we live in today, but yeah. that kind of would run to relatives to share that they're pregnant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again and again, <laughs> the reaction of the people, some of them are in little disbelief, but overall, they believe her, and she seems to be proud of it. She's not hiding, she's not denying it. So clearly, it was something miraculous. Yeah, and, and also, I thought it was interesting that Elizabeth had a word of knowledge from the Lord because she immediately proclaimed, you're the mother of the, of the Messiah. Yeah, where would have she gotten that unless her in her old age had gotten pregnant? Well, it, it's exciting to me to, to see how people are getting filled with the Spirit right and left. You have Elizabeth, <laughs> the Bible says she was filled with the Spirit. John the Baptist seems to get his anointing. You know, the Bible says <laughs> oh, yeah. he, was, he would be filled he with the Spirit from his mother's salsa. womb. <laughs> so, I think that's when that happened. And then later, Zacharias, when he gets his voice back, uh, uh, then when John is born, he gets filled with the Spirit. So, Jesus, before he's ever born, is filling people with the Holy Spirit. And there's excitement. And here's something interesting. For the last 400 years, there's been absolute silence in Israel. Nothing's going on. No prophecy, no miracles, no anointing, uh, much of anybody. And suddenly things are happening. Yes. It's like God, yes. God is on the move and it's His time to present His Son to the world. And one of the things that I find very interesting about this is that God knew in His wisdom that people would attack this doctrine. He knew that they would say, well, this is just conjured up by a bunch of ignorant fishermen who were following Jesus after He died. You know, that they were trying to make Him a God or something. But who was it that was writing all this, Dennis? Well, it was Luke. And why is that significant? Well, he was, he was a physician. He, he was, was a, a medical doctor. He was a sharp guy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, one of the interesting things to me is, you know, you, you wonder, how did Luke find all this out? You know, now some of it was by word of mouth by the time he wrote this. But there are some things that you wonder, how did he find out? For example, later on in the story, it tells how that when the shepherds came, Mary pondered all these things. Yes, yes. Luke, how did you know she pondered those things? You know what I'm guessing, and, and I think we've got a pretty strong reason to, to believe this, is that Luke sat down with Mary and said, Mary, Absolutely. tell me from start to finish. Well, it started out I was in my room just minding my own business and suddenly, bam, this guy named Gabriel shows up and, and she tells the whole story. And so, she's telling him, yeah, and, I, and I, I thought about it, I thought about it, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. But so, anyway, it, it's an amazing story and it, it bears all the marks of truth. This, this is not just some uh, figment of somebody's imagination. And you look at Jesus' life, he, d he had the goods. You know, this is not just somebody that was proclaimed to be a prodigy and then <laughs> disappointed and fizzled out. Yeah. Nor I was mean, it a doctrine he, from later, too, because the right. early church fathers, you have Tertullian and uh, Justin Martyr and Ignatius, they all confirmed it as well. The early church from the very beginning believed yeah. in the virgin birth. It's not something that showed up hundreds of years later. And Christians have always believed that until this so called higher criticism <laughs> rose up yeah. and people started doubting the scriptures. But again, uh, if, if God can do all the other miracles, why not a virgin birth? Uh, that's, a, that's the point. It gets right down to uh, modern day uh, critics uh, who call themselves Christians. Yeah. I'm not talking about atheists, but right. who call. Uh, basically, what you have is people who do not believe in the supernatural. So they deny yeah. the miracles of Jesus, yeah. they deny the virgin birth, they deny the resurrection, mm -hmm. and yet still call themselves Christians. I wonder why they bother. Yeah. 
Thomas Jefferson came up with his own version of the New Testament, and he left off every miraculous deed of Jesus, everything that was supernatural, and just basically and turned it into a And also did not device. include the resurrection. Yeah. He just cut it out. I mean, he put his own New Testament together because he, he was a rationalist who did not believe in the supernatural. That's right. why I love that old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. We just need the trust that the Bible is the Word of God. Amen. And, and I think that this is uh, one of the things that's interesting about this is this story is not written like a mythical story. You, you, if, if you're familiar with the, the, the myths of the Greeks yeah. or the Romans or any kind of mythical literature, you know it just doesn't even have the flavor of myth. It's, right. it's written by a highly intelligent medical doctor who wrote uh, a lot of the New Testament and uh, was a person who knew how babies were conceived and how they were born. He wasn't some guy who was just making up things here. Yeah, Luke was very precise. Out of all the Gospel writers, he, he, he seemed to just be a very methodical, yes. precise man, uh, wanted to get all his I's dotted and his T's crossed. And uh, uh, we can believe him. Well, I believe it, and I think yeah, that. I uh, People that don't need to get saved is basically what happens. <laughs> I think that you couldn't be born again and not believe these things. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to our discussion of the truth and essentiality of the virgin birth. Well, fellas, uh, do you have any final comments or thoughts that you want to share with us about this topic? Well, we've got an, uh, several scriptures in the Old Testament that, that speak about this virgin birth, and one is Genesis 3.15. Yeah, and incidentally those are very important because they make it very clear that the virgin birth was just some afterthought after Jesus died. Right. But it's clearly prophesied in the Hebrew Scriptures that the Messiah was going to be born a virgin. In fact, even the Jewish sages accepted the idea that the, the, the Messiah would have to be virgin born. Yeah. So let's look. In fact, this is the very first Messianic prophecy in the Bible, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Okay, Genesis 3.15, what does it say? So, it's actually, strangely enough, uh, God speaking to the devil, uh, to the <laughs> serpent, and <laughs> saying, you're going to be cursed. And He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Right. So, He speaks of Jesus as the seed of the woman. Yes. Not uh, your husband's seed, but your seed. So, uh, uh, the, the idea is a woman, shall, a virgin, shall produce uh, yeah. a child. No man necessary here. No man necessary. He's going to be born in the seed of woman. Yeah. Okay. I think the most explicit one is Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Right there, that prophecy requires that the Messiah be born of a virgin. So Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Now, they always say that Jesus could fulfill prophecy afterwards. You know, maybe He could show up in Bethlehem at the right time. Or how does one get born of a virgin? You can't plan that. <laughs> no, you cannot plan it at all. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, uh, there's some others though. Uh, what about, uh, do you have uh, available uh, the Scripture, another one in Isaiah, Isaiah 9-6? Yes, Isaiah 9-6. So it also speaks of the not only the, uh, the fact that He would be God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. You got it there? Yeah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulder, and His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom 
to order it and establishment with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever. He will be mighty God. Mm-hmm. And what about Micah 5, 2, where it also talks about, you know, we, we think of Micah 5, 2 only in one regard, and that is that it uh, is the prophecy about where Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. But the prophecy also says He will be from everlasting. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's another prophecy that He will be God in the flesh, which means He has to be virgin born. Read that for us, Dennis. Yeah. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So, if you just said, all right, let's see how many people from Messiah, I mean from Bethlehem, might qualify as a even a possible Messiah. You know, they made some splash in the world. They were born in Bethlehem. Well, okay, uh, one, exactly one. <laughs> so, and that happened to be Jesus Christ. But Bethlehem wasn't just uh, pointing out here. It's also pointing out that it's Bethlehem Ephrathah, right? Because yeah. there was two there Bethlehems, two. right? Kind of yeah. like there's a Springfield one in every state. Alley. So, they actually pointed out the particular Bethlehem he'd yeah. be born in. And his goings forth were from of old. Uh, he, he existed before he was ever born. The incarnation, really the greatest miracle. You know, you talk about the miracles of Jesus, the incarnation, the fact that God came and lived inside a human flesh uh, for those years. Uh, amazing. And you know, uh, Dennis, one of the things that uh, just occurs to me about all this is that we're talking here about babies in the womb. We're not talking about protoplasm or something like that. We're talking about babies in the womb. We're talking about John the Baptist leaping with joy. We're talking about Jesus in the womb. And yet today people deny that a child in the womb is a human being. Elizabeth, when Mary came to visit her and she felt that jumping in her womb, said, the babe that's in my womb leaped for joy. She didn't say, well, my fetus was responding to your fetus. Uh, that w- <laughs> but it was obviously a baby. And, you know, it, even if you're, if, you, if you're so stubborn and hard-hearted that you say, well, I'm not positive it's a baby. Even if you allow that it might be a baby, you have no right aborting that child or uh, promoting abortion. Even if there's a chance. But, of course, if you study the Scriptures, it's more than just a chance. And there's, there's a reason why we evangelicals are universally against abortion. And this is one of those reasons. And one of the things that always gets me is the hypocrisy of some of those who uh, oppose uh, any kind of limitation on abortion, you know. Or, or and, and For example, they will say, yeah, I believe that we ought to have a law that punishes anyone who destroys an eagle egg because after all that's an eagle. Yeah. But then they'll turn around and say, oh, but we should have abortion. Woman's right well, to choose. I mean, come, a, a woman's right to choose to murder, exactly. to kill. Exactly. Uh, and, and this is something, of course, that can be forgiven by the Lord. I, I know there may be people watching who have had an abortion. They should know that the Lord's grace and mercy can cover that if they repent of it and turn to Him. But they need to acknowledge it. But they need to acknowledge it. But the, it, it, I mean, if, a, if an eagle in an egg is an eagle, why isn't a baby in the womb a baby? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I just can't see that there's any difference here. No. <laughs> this passage is very clear about it. And of course you have Jeremiah where God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. If God knows us before we ever get our start, then once we start out, nobody better mess with us. Imagine if you went to an artist who was creating an, a masterpiece and he was about halfway through and you said, excuse me, and you rip up the canvas and absolutely destroy his masterpiece. You suppose he'll be very happy? Well, God is that artist. And every time a woman is pregnant, he is creating a masterpiece. And nobody has the right to mess with that masterpiece. 
peace. Yes, I, I, I love that passage in Jeremiah where he says, you know, in the womb you call me. In the womb you call me to be a prophet to my people. God already had a plan for him. And how many people has he had a plan for who were aborted and that plan was... I'm always struck by the sacrifice that God made to take, have all the power in the universe and put yourself in something so helpless as a unborn baby. Mm -hmm. I mean... It's something. Yeah, it gets me every time I read that story. As we bring this program to a close, I want to ask Dennis to look right into that camera in front of you, Dennis, and tell any person watching who does not know Jesus what they must do. Sure. The Bible says, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. So, we come to Christ by receiving Him through faith and a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe in You. You're the Son of God. You died on the cross. You rose again. Forgive my sins. I put my faith in you. The words don't have to be exact, but the heart has to be sincere. Thank you, Dennis. I really appreciate that. And folks, I want to conclude this program today by reading to you the words from my all-time favorite Christmas card. They begin with this. He who is almighty became a suckling baby. He who is all-wise took on the dumbness of a newborn. He whom the heavens cannot contain was enclosed in a woman's womb. He before whom the seraphim continually cry, Holy, 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 was born of a sinner into a world under the dominion of sin. He who is unchanging went through nine months of constant change to enter a world of change. He who is infinite became but a microscopic cell. He who is all-knowing had to communicate through baby cries. He who is love was born outside a hotel because no one had any room for his laboring mother. He who is the Creator became a Creator. He who has always been Spirit took on the awkwardness of a human body. He who is eternal allowed himself to be bound by time. He who is light was entombed for nine months in warm darkness. And he who is just was accused of being an illegitimate child. He who is sovereign God became dependent on a human man and woman for his food and clothing. He who is clothed with majesty was laid at birth in a cattle trough. He alone is self-sufficient, had to be cleaned and nursed. He who is life was born with a death warrant around his neck. Can there be a greater mystery? Can there be a greater miracle? I don't think so. And that is why I keep this tiny nativity scene on my desk at all times. Well, folks, that's it for this week. We hope this program has been a blessing to you. Until next week, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. We want to pause for a moment in our study of Christmas and Prophecy to introduce you to a very valuable Bible prophecy study resource. It is this publication which we call the Christ in Prophecy Study Guide. It took me seven years to produce this guide, which was originally published in 1987. My goal was to catalog every Messianic prophecy in the Old Testament concerning both the first and second advents of the Messiah. But the prophecies are more than just cataloged. They are arranged analytically by categories. Regarding the second coming prophecies, most people do not realize it, but there are many more prophecies in the Hebrew Scriptures about the second coming than the first. These prophecies are outlined in this study guide in detail and are placed in chronological order according to the sequence in which they will most likely happen. 
1995, I started revising the guide and spent the next five years completely revising and expanding it to include the Messianic prophecies contained in the New Testament. The guide was then republished in an expanded second edition in 2001. The guide runs 150 pages in length and has a special binding that causes it to lie flat for easy access. It contains charts and diagrams. It contains both a topical index and a scripture index. This is the ideal handbook and study guide for any serious student of Bible prophecy. It can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. Call the number you see on the screen and ask for the Prophecy Study Guide. As a bonus, we will send you a copy of a special publication entitled, Are You Ready for the Lord's Return? This is a great witnessing booklet since it discusses what constitutes a true Christian, one who is an heir to the biblical promise of everlasting life with our Creator. Again, just call the number you see on the screen and ask for offer number 797, the Prophecy Study Guide. And the second coming booklet can be yours for a gift of $20 or more. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.